I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, the story of a man who lost it all, but regained it through his love of sailing. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, raced international 14s, and crossed the Atlantic countless times, a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Mr. Scott Dodson. Thank you, Todd. I, I hope you're surviving COVID well enough across town. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm doing great. Seems like a lot of people are really enjoying the episode about the history of the Bermuda Sloop and the untold contributions of the Black Bermudians to the development of the Bermuda Sloop. Yes, it's uh, it, it's a, it's an uncovered story, so to speak, that the development of the sloop from, you know, essentially it came from uh, from a lanteen, which is just when big giants sail, which you could find anywhere in the Middle East, um, especially in the Indian Ocean. Um, and it sort of developed from that um, when it, they put a spinnaker on it and it got a little bit bigger and, and, um, and, and became more lightweight, which was a, a real key element. And a lot of that, of course, all happened around Bermuda and um you know pre uh revolutionary war yeah um and the technology like anything it's hard to pinpoint and say okay this is exactly how this happened um because technology developments go you know they're hodgepodge they some pop up here some pop up there they're just like ideas you know they they have their own manifest destiny and um so it's just fun to find a story that is so relevant to today, and uh, we find out who we are so um, indebted to for our our development. Yeah, and I'm sure we will have plenty more stories coming up in the future about some of the untold history behind uh, sailings and, and boat design. Um, so what do we have planned for today's episode? Well, today is... Uh, is a little bit of a short story. Um, it's based on a true story. Um, it's based on a man that I met uh, through my journeys, and um, R.B. Johnson. And um, he's unfortunately he's passed away, but uh, he had a very interesting um, sailing story, and it's also kind of a parallel to um, to a subset of people who kind of buy boats, go through a divorce, end up living on their boat, end up traveling around, have a girlfriend, lose a girlfriend, this, another thing. And they sort of end up, uh, on a boat. Um, and it's about, uh, it's really, it's about a sailor in love. Yeah. Okay. Take it away, Scott. R.B. Johnson slammed the front door of his house. Anger overcame his better judgment. He wanted to turn around and go back inside and apologize to his wife, Mary. He just didn't know what he was apologizing for. He stopped at the white picket fence gate. He reached down, bending his big frame to pull the latch open. 
He gently kicked the bottom of the gate to open it. The wood had swollen with the constant atmosphere of fog and rain in St. Fergus, Scotland. He carefully closed the gate with another slight kick to the bottom and set the latch. He looked up and saw Mary looking through the window at him. It was over, he thought. He walked down the lane toward the boatyard. He pulled the wool watch cap over his ears to protect them from the biting cold wind of the North Sea. He grew up in Fergus. He was a boy when North Sea Brent oil was discovered. St. Fergus was just a small hamlet of fishing men and scratch farmers. Now, the Shell Oil refinery roared 24-7. The town was filled with new people from Shell. Initially, everybody was happy. Money came into the town and sort of saved it. He took a job piloting a service vessel out to the rigs. First as a deckhand, then he rose to be a captain. It was a hard and dangerous job fighting the North Sea, day in and day out. But he was up to the challenge. More importantly, he loved the challenge. He married Mary when they turned 18. Fraserburg was so small before the oil boom that everyone knew one another. He knew Mary since he could remember. He never thought he would get a divorce. As he leaned his big frame into the north wind, it became clear to him that his anger wasn't against her, but against himself. He was an absent husband. He was an insensitive man. He never expressed his emotions, but kept his feelings, what feelings he had, tightly held behind the Scottish exterior and ingrained Calvinist upbringing. R.B. Johnson was the first mate on a Masaryk container ship. He had, he had traveled around the world hundreds of times, crossing oceans like one we go to the grocery store or school. His discipline, diligence, expertise, and experience led him to the very precipice of achieving his ultimate goal, captain. His honest, reserved qualities, so familiar with the Scottish merchant marine, served to block his rise to the captain. The same qualities that were repeated by Mary during their meeting with the lawyers for the divorce. Gruff, lacking empathy, hard-assed. These were some of the statements his fellow sailors uttered at his formal disposition for being drunk on duty while commanding a container ship. Mary complained he was gone all the time and she wanted a fuller life with someone closer to home. She chose a supervisor at the Shell Oil Refinery who promised to take her to the Caribbean for holiday. R.B. Johnson sat and listened to Mary and her lawyer lay out the terms of the divorce. He could have his boat. They would sell the house and she would keep the proceeds, the Range Rover plus half the cash in the bank. The settlement took half his life savings. R.B. Johnson sat in the lawyer's office staring out the window. He was stoic, as he was in every situation. He accepted the circumstances and the setbacks without complaint. Mary was talking, but he could not hear her. Some words and phrases slipped through, 
to his forward consciousness, Neanderthal, dead inside, incapable of feelings. They bombarded him like a hard rain. The patter reminded him of drums. He was searching for the beat. When Mary pulled on his sleeve, he woke and realized the lawyer was handing him a pen to sign the divorce papers. He took the pen and with a sudden intense concentration, quickly reviewed what he was signing. Mary's impatience pressed against his resistance to the whole affair. With a sigh, and what could be best described as an ironic grimace, he signed. When R.B. Johnson was tested for alcohol and drugs by the Coast Guard, in a spot inspection, he was found to exceed the alcohol limit by a tenth of a percent. He nearly lost his license. This infraction caused the company to reevaluate his ability to command. The company told him he would never be a captain. He accepted the blow with his usual stoicism. He didn't argue the circumstances for his being on the bridge during the inspection. No one came to his defense, especially his captain, who called him to take over the watch after R.B. Johnson had been on duty for two watches straight and had just gone to bed. R.B. Johnson took a wee dram of whiskey to help him sleep, as was his custom since he was a baby. The captain was drunk. He called R.B. Johnson to take over the watch. R.B. Johnson, tired and perturbed, did his duty. At the proceedings, his captain never defended R.B. Johnson. R.B. Johnson hung onto his emotional stoicism, accepting the outcome of his destroyed career. He never told Mary. R.B. Johnson had never had a nickname. His father, a Calvinist preacher, called him R.B. Johnson. He was asked once by a parishioner why he used his full name and not some name of endearment. He answered that R.B. Johnson was an endearing and accurate as I care to give. Even his mother called him R.B. Johnson. Sometimes when his father wasn't around, she called him R.B. His full name was Robert Bruce Johnson after the great Scottish warrior. His father named him, hoping he would take the strength from such a great Scottish man, yet never used the name, having believed he would have to earn it as it would be presumptuous and disgraceful to the true Robert Bruce. R.B. Johnson sat drinking in the pub Balakava. It was an old haunt of his, but traveling left him an outsider with the locals. The owner, Jimmy, saw him and welcomed him. They knew each other from school. Jimmy bought R.B. Johnson a whiskey. They toasted. Jimmy talked about local events. The rugby team had done well. Most of the local information had to do with oil rigs offshore. Jimmy finally asked about Mary. R.B. Johnson told him she was doing fine. He felt emotion well into his throat and choked him. He got up and thanked Jimmy for the drink and left. Outside, the wind had increased. Spendrift whipped across the street. R.B. Johnson lowered his shoulder against the torrent and made his way down to the boatyard.
Harvey Johnson stopped and admired his boat, a Hallberg Rossi 54. She sat on the hard in the corner of the yard close up to the breakwater. She was covered with a foamy yellow spindrift. Her rigging whistled in a pitch that told him the wind was blowing 45 miles an hour. A normal day in northern Scotland. He picked up the wooden ladder laying under his boat and propped it up on the starboard side. The wind nearly lifted him and the ladder off the boat. Once on deck, he tied the ladder off on the tow railing. From the cockpit, he could clearly see the North Sea bubbling and bursting into short, back-breaking waves. He knew from experience that going out in this kind of sea would be tough, an uncomfortable slog. He unlocked the hatch and slid it back. He climbed down the companionway into a perfectly ordered, immaculately cleaned salon. He turned on the electric heater, grabbed a bottle of scotch by the neck so hard he squeezed himself a tall drink. The boat vibrated. He put the framed picture of Mary and him sailing one summer day, happy, into the drawer. It was at this point that R.B. Johnson realized he was utterly lost. His domestic life was gone. His career stymied. Half of everything he owned was gone. What bothered him, though, was that he was completely devoid of emotion. The anger came and went like kicking your toe against the door jam. He blamed himself, but he couldn't figure out why. He thought of himself as a kind man. Was he just supposed to accept this? Why didn't he fight? Why didn't he tell on his captain who was drunk on duty? Why didn't he show some emotion or something? Something. What something? He hadn't a clue. He gulped down a couple of more glasses of whiskey. The night came with a rattle and a croak. The wind laid down and he slept in the glow of the space heater. By the time the heavy cloud-covered morning lightened, R.B. Johnson was on his second cup of coffee. He woke with a plan. He sat on a wooden box in the middle of the yard, studying the lines of his boat. A yellow tabby cat, probably a stray, came over and purred. The tabby wound figure eights round R.B.'s legs. R.B. Johnson didn't mind. This was his first contact with anyone or anything since. And he thought about it. He shook hands with the lawyer. Before that sorrowful moment, he couldn't remember when he was last touched or he touched something alive. He scratched the tabby behind her ears. The tabby fell over and exposed her belly. And R.B. Johnson scratched the belly for a minute. Then a tabby jumped up and ran away behind some dumpsters. This action just reinforced R.B. Johnson's nagging misery. The best way to deal with all these shitty feelings was to get to work. His emotional plan was to stub your toe, sudden strong pain, then repair, and back to normal. He couldn't figure out what would be normal now. No matter, he thought, let's get the boat in the water and figure out a destination and the rest of the stuff later. Since the boat had been on the hard for better than a year, he decided to do a complete refit. He had the time. 
he had the money or what was left for the money. He wouldn't have to go back to work for a couple of months, and he wasn't sure he would go back to work. Arby Johnson was a merchant marine captain. Even though his license said he was a captain, the company procedures and seniority designated him as a first mate. And in fact, at any one time, there were at least three or four licensed captains on a container ship. As first mate, he was responsible for everything on the vessel. He reported to the captain, but the day-to-day operations, maintenance, loading, scheduling all fell to him to execute. He set down a plan. His boat was 10 years old. The engine, a Volvo Penta, has very few hours on it. He checked the zincs. They were so corroded he needed a screwdriver to dig out the zinc pencils. The entire fresh water cooling system would need to be flushed and pickled. All the belts and hoses and wiring need to be replaced. A small puddle of oil sat on the indentations of the head cover, and he asked himself a critical question. Where was he going? Even puttering around Scotland was a dangerous proposition with an engine whose reliability could be questioned. He had no doubt that he could refurbish the engine to pristine working order. He scratched down some identification numbers and went off to research his two courses of action. Rebuild the engine or buy a new one. He went over to the Plow Inn for breakfast to use the internet. Janice Vining, a former classmate, was waiting tables. They chatted a bit. How's Mary? R.B. answered, doing well. He didn't realize it, but everyone in town knew about the divorce. They knew Mary was going out with an engineer for the Shell refinery. They had seen them smiling and laughing like lovebirds. R.B. Johnson was none the wiser, although he had an inkling. He focused on his engine. After Janice delivered the check and topped off his coffee, she asked what his plans were. R.B. Johnson found this inquiry to be inappropriate. He scowled at Janice. R.B. Johnson's eyes darted across the restaurant at the other waitresses who were nervously waiting for news. Gossip being like gold in such a small town. I'm going sailing, he muttered. And where would you be going? You've been all around the world. She had her hand on our generous hip. She acted like she was seen at all, when in fact she had been no further than Glasgow, and only a couple of times in her life. The silliest notion struck R.B. Johnson. R.B. Johnson wasn't a silly man, nor did he experience silly notions, ever. But for some reason, maybe the complete demolition of his life was cause. He said, I'm going to sail around the world. And Janice answered, you've done that already. She whined as if she, had, she was unimpressed. I suppose I have, muttered R.B. Johnson. But this time, I'm going to sail around north to south and back to north, and not west to east or east to west. The absurdity of the statement made him chuckle. Bring back some cute penguins from the South Pole, if you don't mind. The kids would love to see them in person. She walked away satisfied with her new information. R.B. Johnson made his decision. He ordered a new engine. A low RPM Volvo Penta D4 180, 180 horsepower, 
main engine, and a 17.5 kilowatt low RPM generator with a sound shield, heater, pumps, filters, pressure equalizer for the freshwater system, aqua drive flexible coupling for the engine shaft, high pressure pump for the water maker, everything easy to maintain, all well sound insulated. The prospect of sailing north to south energized his step. He checked in the, at the local marine electronics store. R.B. Johnson wasn't a shopper, but he was full of excitement and maybe a little joy. He purchased a GMB short plotter, radar, GPS, auto helm. Halfway back to the yard, it occurred to him that he should get rid of the cable steering and install a hydraulic unit with a DC servo motor for the auto helm to operate. If he was going to sail around the world, hydraulics was the answer. He turned around and went back to the marine electronics store and ordered the right kit. He had a lot of work to do. These miserable inklings were far away now. Busy hands kept the gloom away, or something like that, he muttered under his breath. The days ticked by, filled with activity. He pulled the old engine, rewired the engine room, painted the engine room, and replaced all the pumps. He planned for the worst. What if he ran into ice? How would he repair the hull? What pumps could keep up? What about the batteries? How much electricity would he need? How about fuel? He bought, the, he bought a water maker. He converted one of his water tanks to a fuel tank. This gave him 900 gallons of fuel, plus five-gallon jerry cans on the deck if needed. He had his life raft checked and repacked. He updated all his safety gear. He went to the pharmacy and put together a kit of medical supplies. He registered his new EPIRB, Electronic Positioning Indicator Radio Beacon, and his PIB, a Personal Indicator Beacon. He also installed an AIS transceiver so he could be tracked by satellite anywhere in the world. He worked day and night. A couple of guys who worked on the local trawlers came by and helped. Pops McDuff, the owner of the yard, came to visit. Pops was retired and lived in Florida. He knew R.B. Johnson since he was born. He gave R.B. his first job on the sea. In a sense, Pops was more father to R.B. Johnson than his own. Pops called R.B. Johnson Bobby Bruce. Pops was a short, bull-legged man with a barrel chest, powerful arms, and hands used to hard labor. In contrast to what you might think, his personality was whimsical and philosophic. His two sons ran the business, and he happily retired. He said, didn't have to ask me twice if I was going to retire. I did it so quick the door never touched my ass on the way out. His laughter filled the yard, nearly drowning out the steady crash of the surf and the monotonous roar of the North Sea wind. I can't say I know what you're going through, Bobby Bruce. Nothing good ever comes of being cockled and sent packing because you were out making a living for your family. And by the way, how is Glenda? R.B. Johnson was laid bare and embarrassed by this question. I don't know. She was living in the Caribbean with her husband. Does she know? Not unless Mary told her. She doesn't speak with me. That's par that part I know about. 
My boys can barely be in the same room with me. You know what? All you can do is your best. And if that is not good enough for them, then it's on them. Life ain't fair. R.B. Johnson nodded in the affirmative. Pops smiled. I get what you're doing. What do you mean? Look, married young, went off to sea. It's an age-old story. What you take from this experience is up to you. But I will say, and he paused to look at R.B. Johnson to see if he was paying attention, failing at love teaches you to become better at love. The next time you have a relationship, it will have a better outcome. That's all I got. R.B. Johnson smiled. Pops breathed a cleansing wind through his mind. He felt better. He felt like he saw a beam from a faraway lighthouse piercing through the murk of a dark night, giving him hope for his emotional life. R.B. Johnson tended to the rigging and the ground tackle. Everything was ready. The last item on his to-do lists were checked off. The crane picked up his boat and gently put her in the water. R.B. Johnson climbed down the ladder to the boat. As the tide was out, it moved up and down by at least 20 feet in that part of Scotland. He checked for leaks, opened intake valves on his new engine, and in an hour all systems were running. All systems were go. New sails were ready to be filled, and spares waited in the sail locker. Lines were passed by fellow seamen, maneuvering along the quay out to the mole. It would be a short way to sea now. He thanked all his friends for helping him get the boat ready. He was genuinely moved, and to the surprise of everyone, he expressed his happiness and his gratitude. A local reporter came down to the mole and asked if he could give periodic reports on his progress for the paper. And again, he was surprised. Everyone who knew him with his openness and candor. He agreed. R.B. Johnson was standing on the mole with his hands in his pockets, wondering what to do next. Should he leave? He felt like a new man. Was he ready to leave? Should he leave? Was there some kind of incompleteness he should address? Mary appeared. She carried a letter. She didn't address him with his name or heard that something had changed about him while he was working on his boat. R.B. Johnson morphed into R.B., then simply Bobby. He seemed taller, broader, She reached up and kissed him on the cheek and said, be safe. She handed him the letter. He stuffed it in his peacoat pocket to read later. She left him standing there on the mole next to his new love. R.B. Johnson sailed his boat down the coast of Scotland toward the coast of France to Spain and Portugal, eventually making landfill in Tenerife, the Canary Islands. It would be a good shakeout cruise. A few days after leaving Scotland, he was clipping along in a 15-knot breeze abaft of his beam, 
comfortably ensconced in the corner of his cockpit, the autopilot working effortlessly, he noticed some movement in his companionway. He sat up, and there, poking her head out, was the tabby. She was looking for food. R.B. Johnson opened up a can of tuna for her, and after further examination found a litter of six kittens that Tabby had given birth, tucked away safely in the sail locker. The joy he felt to have companions made him sing out loud. The Tabby jumped ship in Tenerife, preferring the warmer climate and Spanish cooking. R.B. gave a kitten to his daughter Glenda in St. Thomas. Their relationship improved. Four kittens sailed to the Antarctic with Bobby. A kitten, then a full-grown cat, jumped ship in Santiago, Chile. He sailed the Northwest Passage over the top of Canada to Greenland. The second to the last kitten was given to another sailor in Iceland, and R.B. Johnson and his tabby, named Magellan, sailed into Fraserburg four years after the start of their voyage. Magellan was famous with the school kids around the world, and R.B. Johnson, now known as Bobby, continued to sail, but this time with a new partner, Conchita, a journalist from Spain. Magellan is happy to share the space and the love. They spend their time in the Caribbean and Spain. That was an interesting story, Scott. I like the the way that it ended up with him actually finding a new love, but also finding companionship with the cat and the kittens. Seems like that's also a, a common theme among sailors is to take on the assembled family of people that come on board. Yeah, you kind of almost have to. It's like you don't have a choice. It's, you know, tight quarters and teamwork and sailing and and things of that nature and the sailing life uh, has a great appeal from the outside to actually live it uh is uh, another story um but i yeah i rb was lucky in the sense that um i know that he was very fond and beca- became kind of um popular um, in newspapers and such, uh, when his uh, future wife, who was Conchita, um, when she was doing stories about his uh, um, going from the North Pole to the South Pole and across the Northwest Passage, and um, kind of a crazy place to go. I mean, most of us sail Caribbean or warm waters and, you know, go around the fat side of the earth. He went on the oblong side of the earth. And, um, Kind of, kind of an interesting uh, way to see things. And it, is that a common story that you see a lot of of people, you know, kind of mi- middle aged going through, dare I say, it, a midlife crisis? They buy a boat and decide to travel the world. Um, I would venture to say that ninety percent of all boat sales are based on midlife crises. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, and, and you were telling me earlier that, you know, sometimes it doesn't necessarily end that well for some people. 
Well, yeah, I I think that anybody that's been sailing around, living on their own boats, there's a subset of person, man, that that uh, ends up alone on a boat, drinks too much, and uh, watches his life sort of wash away with the tide. Um, and it's it's not uncommon to 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 see a percentage of these people not be able to get out of their own way and um, fall into such a deep uh, pool of misery that um, they're unable to 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 handle it, even though they're sort of living in an ideal ideal situation. Yeah, it's that thing of when you search for external validation and you think that buying a boat and taking off to sail around the world is going to solve all your problems and you realize your problems are still there. They didn't go anywhere. Oh, exactly. Um, and it's, I think one of the main things too, and, and I think I'll approach this is, you know, how without being an, I'm not really an expert on, on human nature, but I, I've been on the earth long enough to make a lot of mistakes and to have a number of failed relationships. And I think with this story, what I was trying to get at in a, with another angle of it is that we have to sort of fail at a certain kind of love first before we can really be passionately in love. And that's where RB failed in his first marriage um, because the circumstances weren't right. He was too young, etc. And then in the second, the second go around, um, he opened himself up and, and, and he found love that way. And I think that you have to be very open uh, when you're sailing a boat, and a lot of guys have to get out of their own way. Don't be misogynistic. Don't think you're the know-it-all. I mean, it's very hard. We see a lot. Of, I see a lot of posts, and guys are like, you know, experts on everything. It's like, dude, don't be an expert on everything. Just be an expert on one or two things, and just be inquisitive about the others. And and you know, it's just somewhat overbearing and. Um, this you can't be overbearing when you're living with somebody 24/7 on a boat. Yeah, you see a lot of these so-called experts on social media who think they know everything and proceed to tell the world even though they have no idea what they're talking about. Exactly. It's like having a 30 something uh uh guy wrote me um about that he was a life coach and that he could help me live a better life. And and the irony of that is just too thick for me to even address. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, moving on, what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, next week, next week, we are going to do something a little bit different. We're going to babble. And not just me babbling this time, but uh, it's going to be you and I. We're going to do a little summation of the 22 episodes that we've done so far. And uh, we're going to touch on some of our themes, uh, go over some points, answer some questions that we've gotten uh, from our listeners who haven't had an opportunity to, we haven't had the opportunity to address them. And that's that's what our show is going to be about. It'll be a little bit of a mid-August slowdown, um, but I think people are going to find it really interesting because we're going to touch on an awful lot of subjects. And so if, if anybody has any questions or comments, um, how should they contact us? 
Well, they can they can just uh, on Facebook. Uh, they can go on to the uh, Offshore Explorer page on Facebook, which uh, please join, be a member. Um, we love you, and uh, just leave me a leave me a message um, either on a post or um, in the uh, messages. Okay, great. I look forward to uh, babbling with you next week. All right, thank you, Terry. And thanks, audience. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Itomi and Tommy Twang. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas.